Folks, welcome into a brand new episode of the Crowdus' podcast presented by Trainwreck Sports. As always, Wake here with my partner in crime, Kevin Masseri. Kevin, another week in the books of the NFL offseason. How you doing over there? Loving it. Living the dream. <laughs> Getting closer. Three weeks to the NFL draft. A lot to love. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to our AFC East guests. So I am not going to lie. I had a lot of Bills talk. Interested to see what's going on and what's what other teams are expecting to do here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's definitely it's going to be nice to get a change of pace and do some more AFC East as a whole talk, uh, which we're going to do here with our guest uh, Tyson Rauch from Let's Talk Jets. But before we get into that, I uh, do got to remind you guys, as always, we are sponsored now by Amherst Pizza and Ale House, official sponsor of Crowdus' podcast. Been serving Buffalo amazing pizza, wings, and beer since 2005. And even more notably, my personal favorite, Kevin knows this, they're pizza tots, tater tots. And no matter what anyone says, you're never too old for tater tots. Someone on Twitter tried to make that argument today. Never too old for tater tots. With melted mozzarella cheese, cup and char pepperoni. It's good. It's good. I moved away from Buffalo too long ago. And when I come back at the end of May, this is on my bucket list to do before I head back to Long Island. Local restaurants are reopening at a larger capacity, but they still need our help to get through the pandemic. So order from Amherst Ale House for your draft night spread, Sabres game nights, and every night in between. Call them, place an order now, 716-625-7100. That's 716-625-7100. Now, if you don't know by the title, this is our AFC East Draft Preview Show. So we're going to be talking with a few different guests. Like I said, first here, Tyson Rauch. Let's talk Jets. Tyson, thank you for being here. I know you got a tight schedule. How's the offseason going for you? Oh, it's quiet, man. The Jets don't do anything. I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> not, not, nothing going on. Just a very quiet offseason. No change. No, it's just boring, man. <laughs> well, you know, we'll start with the with the least boring part of it, which is the Sam Darnold trade. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the show with everything going on with Deshaun Watson. He's not tradable now. So Sam Darnold was the next quarterback domino to drop. Uh, Zach the Koala says, what's up, Tyson? <laughs> uh, we, have a, we have a unique following on our show. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the, the fake names they give you at a Google, the top of a Google Sheets thing. Anonymous Koala, Anonymous Zebra, yep. all those. Yep. Um, the, so the Sam Darnold trade. How are you happy with what happened there? Did you expect it to happen is maybe the bigger question. I did expect it to happen. I think the Jets, I mean, the, the fan base was divided. Some people wanted to trade back and keep Sam and build around him. The other other part of fan base was done with him, wanted a true reset, new coach, new coordinator, new offense, new quarterback. And that's where I fell. And so I'm glad that I'm not glad Sam's gone. I wish him the best. I hope he does well. I think a change of scenery was best for the Jets and for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the value surprised me, to be honest with you, because I thought that the market was diminishing. And I'm like, oh man, like all these guys are signing quarterbacks, Bears, Washington, everybody else. I'm like, what are we going to get, if anything? And then, like, this year's a six-round pick, whatever. A second and a fourth next year, I'm cool with that. Like, I'm happy. It's a good spot for him. He's in the NFC. Good. Go back to Robbie Anderson. And then you have number two pick, and you get your, in theory, your guy, other than Trevor Lawrence. So the Jets, can, they, they have their pick of the rest, and they can get their guy and start over. It's a true reset, man. And this team needs that at this point. Because I think the one thing that people kind of fail to realize is if you bring Sam back, and he plays one bad game. The what ifs, the could has, the should has. The mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be a complete nightmare. And I think the Jets organization realized that, and they're like, you know what? Why give a new coach that? Why inherit all that problem? Just start over, man. Yeah, and you know, you talk about you know now they get the chance to get their guy. Basically, yep. who is their guy? Who is the guy that they should be targeting? I don't think it's a secret at this point. It looks like yeah, it's all it's Zach Wilson. Yeah, man. he he was in here before the before the show started. So. Uh. <laughs> 
I'll tell you, our 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 show's got a, a unique bunch of guys. He's ready. Yeah. <laughs> so, He's ready. Uh, I, I will say the Bills probably gave the Jets a little boost in their trade value. Here's why: Carolina was after Mitch Trubisky, mm-hmm. um, and I think that 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 checked off a box for a team that Mitch Trubisky could have gone to and started at and potentially changed the market a little bit for Sam Darnold. So that's, that's something to be noted, Ty, that I think they helped out the market there. I mean, Carolina started to started to get a little nervous. I mean, they, they needed to make a move. They didn't think they had one. Um, and they checked in on um, Deshaun Watson and, I think they went to their next best option was they didn't get the best the free agent quarterback they were looking for, maybe their top trade target. Yep. Sam Darnold's there and the Jets said, You're gonna pay us. Well, I think I think the Watson, the way thing the whole thing's playing out right now, probably scare a lot of teams off. And that yeah. was probably a guy that everybody's yeah. focusing on. Like, all right, listen, the story came out. How's it gonna play out? We can wait, we can wait. And now you say, you know what? This is not we can't deal with this. We need to go a different direction. Cause like I was telling, you know, before I was like, man, like did you, I was starting to get a little nervous, man. I'm like, wow, this market is really diminishing. The Broncos were showing some interest. I mean, the 49ers weren't going to do it. They just traded up. So I'm like, what are you going to get? You know? So <laughs> Sam Darnold's ghost. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's interesting, man. The bills can, well, the bills help this too. We, we signed a couple of your players too. So maybe, uh, Maybe some of your former players will help us too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that because, like, you know, obviously everybody's aware of, of the, the Sam Darnold situation. Now that that's over, everyone's aware of the number two pick. But what else is something that, you know, maybe the people in the AFC East should know that the Jets have done? Like valuable additions, subtractions. You're shaking your head. So I think it's going to be the latter, right? Um, yeah, well, I think it's, I think at this point we're having faith in a new coaching staff. That's actually competent. That's the first upgrade you're going to make because Adam Gase's staff was a complete joke on and off the field. So you figure in Rob Sala is a reputable guy on defense, supposed to be a you know, motivating guy, you know, inspiring guy, kind of disciplinarian. Then you had Mike LaFleur's offense, which is supposed to be quarterback friendly. So maybe our offense will come back to the NFL instead of being some antiquated garbage that we saw. So that's, I think is what our hope is. In terms of like our free agency moves, they had a couple right. splashes. I think they upgraded the wide receiver position, which they had to do desperately. You yeah. get Corey Davis, you get Keelan Cole. Um, you know, you get you get a pass rusher in theory and Carl Lawson. Hopefully, you can do that. The defensive line is strong, but the problem that I think most Jet fans have is our biggest issue coming to free agency was the offensive line, and they didn't do anything about it. They added two like journeyman guys that you can't really expect anything from. And now it seems like they're gonna be reliant on the draft to address their holes, which is could be great if you land two guys. But if you're going to have a rookie quarterback, you want to have a stout line. And you had a lot of money to spend in free agency, and they didn't address it. It was just – it's a weird approach. I know the whole build through the draft mantra, but – Where'd the money go? Carl Lawson, Corey Davis, and they still have like $25 million. I mean, And so what most fans assume, like they assume they're going to cut like Greg Van Roten and Alex Lewis. And you, ha- you can get another $15 million, $20 million of cap space by cutting players that we thought weren't very good, but they're keeping them. So right now it's like, okay <laughs> – you're keeping the guys we thought weren't very good and not spending money on guys that we thought were good. So your offensive line is still the biggest concern, especially when we just watched the Jets ruin Sam Darnold for the last three years. So if you want to bring in Zach Wilson, why not give him the best possible line you can in front of him? So, I mean, there's still moves to be made. There's still guys out there. But I think it's going to be all in the draft now, which is good in theory if you draft well. But if you don't draft well, an enormous risk. Yeah, and what's your faith in Joe Douglas then? Because from the outsider's perspective, I like what he's done for the most part. I think he's gotten like an above satisfactory grade, but definitely. But I think what gives me a good passing grade for him is just the way that he answered that one question about Sam Darnold earlier this week. 
where he basically said, I don't give a, I don't give a shit if it, if this trade makes me look bad, I want Sam to succeed because he's a good guy and he deserves it. Right. So like, you know, do you expect that he'll be able to have more hits than misses in this draft? The problem with Joe Douglas is that we don't know how much say Adam Gase had in personnel last year. We don't really know. Like all I think the jets, when they fired Gase, finally, they changed their power structure. So now the general manager has power, the coach reports to him. So now their whole, like their whole hierarchy's changed finally. So now we know who's accountable for what. That's the first thing. Yeah. But if you look at Joe Douglas's draft class last year, it's an incomplete because they were all hurt. Like, you know, Beckton played well, you know, but then, then Mims came in, but he he missed a lot of time. Look, all these guys. And then you had a couple of picks that didn't even play at all, like Cameron Clark, the, the quarterback they drafted, which was a complete joke. So the draft class is an incomplete. His free agent class was awful. I mean, most of the guys he signed were bad. And he the guys he's keeping this year aren't very good in theory. So it's like, all right, your first year the general manager – not really impressive. So this year he comes in, he signed some big names, but he had a lot of money to spend. Yeah. So he prioritized Carl Lawson and Corey Davis as his big splash moves. Okay. But he's got a ton of draft picks, man. He got so much draft compensation. That's he's supposed to be a draft guy. And that's where he's gonna have to earn it. But right now, like people love him. The only thing you got to give him credit for is the value he gets in trades. He got real good value for, for Jamal Adams, which shocked all of us. Yeah. I like the value in Sam Darnold. He got, you know, in theory at the time, got good value for Leonard Williams. So he got good value with that. He sticks to his guns. He has a good approach. He seems like he's competent. So it's kind of like, you're kind of almost like blind faith right now. Kind of say, okay, now you have your own show to run. He's got a highly touted front office. He hired all his guys on five-year contracts. So this, now it's kind of prove it. Now it's like, listen, man, you have everything your way. This is like your, your dream scenario, your, your staff, your team, your power, everything. Now you're getting your quarterback. Show us what you got. And so like, this is one question that I want to ask everybody because we did do a Twitter poll earlier asking, you know, who is the biggest threat to the Bills in the AFC East right now to just, you know, get a, a feel of how everybody else thinks of it. And for the first 30 minutes of the poll, it's it's funny. The Jets didn't have a vote. And like, it's hard to not have a I vote. Have I'm not here to talk shit, but, you know, Dude, it's hard to not get a vote on Twitter when, you know, and then my, one of my good buddies said, it's the Jets and it's not close. And then he was the first to vote. So that bumped it up to 1% or so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, we're, we're like, this is a true reset, man. I mean, yeah. you have like a first time head coach, a first time offensive coordinator, a rookie quarterback. You're, you're basically overhauling your entire roster. You have a lot of young guys playing, inexperienced guys. I mean, if you win four or five, six games this year, we'll probably be ecstatic. They only won two last year. But you look at the AFC East, and it's like the Patriots is just crazy. Like, I don't know how they afforded all those guys. I don't know what they did. The only thing Belichick did was overcome for all his bad drafting over the last few years. He mm -hmm. spent all that money to do that. But usually, genuinely, if that's any other team, we make fun of them. Because that, that, that plan never works when you spend money like that. Yeah. And they double down on Cam Newton, which, you know. is interesting. So, and then if, I, if I'm the Bills, like, I'm excited because the Dolphins, they got rid of Fitzpatrick. That's probably, you know, the Dolphins with a quarterback that's kind of competent, I'd be more worried about because I'm mm -hmm. not really sold on Tua. So I guess you're going to say the Patriots based on just the experience of Cam Newton over Tua? I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I don't – like, it's – Yeah, I I would say it, it, it seems like the Dolphins have a more well-rounded roster than the Patriots do. I think the Patriots' ceiling might be higher just because yeah. of Cam Newton's experience and Tua's, on, like, in my opinion, lack of ability for the most part. Yeah. I think his ceiling is like a Kyler Murray. Um, and it's not just because they're both short quarterbacks. It's because yeah. they just look the same when they're out there, you know? Um, so I, I go I go Patriots. I go Patriots and then Dolphins. But it, it's really it's interchangeable for me. Kevin, what do you think? 
uh, it's tough for me to think that this mishmash of New England talent is going to play out. I mean, it's just we've it seen Miami. Works. Yeah, yeah, this Miami usually does this in years past, maybe 2015, 2016, yep. where they just go out and sign everybody under the sun, and it didn't work. Last year, they had a lot of success. You know, was that coaching? You know, what what happened there, Miami? Can they follow it up? Didn't make the playoffs. Um, they did falter against a backup Bills team and just demolished them um, into the yeah. second. I mean, in the game they needed. Um, so we'll see what that determines. But I, 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 it's it's challenging. Like I, I, it's interesting because I don't think there's as much of a gap as as others might. I, I don't I don't think the Jets are extraordinarily far behind, in my opinion, from those two from those two rosters, depending on what they do with this draft capital. Yeah. So exactly. And same with Miami almost too, because that's their big thing right now is they have all these picks too. After that, right. trade. I say Miami with their draft capital, but I'm not, I don't feel great about saying that I could be new England. <laughs> I wouldn't even be shocked if the jets come above them. I really wouldn't like, I just think anything's yeah. possible when you have a rookie quarterback, he could suck or he could end up being really good. I mean, you just, it's worth, it's worth the flyer tie. And, and, and I think that that's, that's ultimately what happens here is where do the jets go? Does that Dolphins talent come together? It might not. And yeah. does all that New England signings, does that happen for them with Cam Newton at quarterback who was a running quarterback and just wasn't yeah, very good? Nope. <laughs> See, I think the weird thing is I like, I think Miami also was kind of high on Watson too. They were getting all that draft capital. They were. Too, yeah. And they're like, you know what? We have all the pieces of the puzzle. He's our final piece to make a serious run. And then all this fell apart for them. And then you kind of wonder, what does New England do? Are they going to draft a quarterback? I mean, there's no – I mean, Cam Newton's like a, a short-term answer at best, what, a year maybe? So it's like, do they draft somebody? Like, who do they – how do they handle it? And that's the – you know, does Garoppolo get cut? Does Garoppolo go to the Patriots? Like, what you – know. <laughs> like, man, our, our colleague's rough, man. We got we have a crazy guy. Um, but that's the whole thing. Like, the Patriots, do they stand pat here? You know, what do the Dolphins do with, with the quarterback? Like, it's – it's, mm-hmm. it's, and you guys, I mean, it's like, and you guys are the class. And the thing I like about the Bills, and I hate giving you guys credit, it drives me crazy, mm-hmm. is that everybody bought into your program. Everybody loves Josh Allen, and all your guys are staying. There are a lot of guys stayed, they came back. You have that whole, like, the chemistry, the camaraderie, and they're all buying into the program. They're all playing for each other. And when you have that kind of chemistry, that goes a long way, man. It's keep just keeping things going. So it, it's the Bills are, they're in a really good spot, man. Young team on the rise, and, they, and you have a quarterback that's leading everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm wary to get too excited about it because we do see outlier. Uh, no, no, Rob, no. Let's go Yankees. Let's keep that out of here. This is a football show. No Yankees talk. <laughs> I bet let's, again. Let's go Yankees is fine. Well, okay, I'm fine with that. Okay, fine, Rob. It's fine. <laughs> two um, to two to one. That that win. That's that's a win. <laughs> that's true. Um, but you know, we have seen outlier quarterback years before, and Josh Allen looks like it's not going to be an outlier year. But you know. I'm going to be cautious. I'm going to be cautiously optimistic heading into the season because, you know, regressions probably do in one way or another, Um, you know, whether it's more interceptions, less yards, something like that. Um, But back to the Jets, since we only have you for six more minutes, you know, it's not just the first pick at number two that you guys have in the first round, but after the Jamal Adams trade, you have, I believe, 23rd from Seattle coming back to you. So if, you know, with that pick, since it's full rebuild mode, would you maybe want to trade back with that? Or is there anyone that you really think the Jets should be targeting with there? See, this is this is like the great argument right now because the Jets have so many holes. We have no yeah. corners at all, man. We have a lot of young guys at corner. We all kind of assume that Richard Sherman is going to come here as like the veteran mentor to be there. But now it's probably, if that happens, it'll all be after the draft. So you need a corner. You can probably go for another receiver. You need offensive linemen. So like a party who says, you know what, if there's a guy you really want, I'm not opposed to trading up. Like go be aggressive and get like legitimate playmakers. If that's an, ex- you know, the, a great corner or whatever else, like I'm not like Jeff fans always want to collect picks now. Like I was get more picks, get more picks. I'm like, I want playmakers, man. Like legitimate yeah. game breaking talent on this team. 
You know, if you like, so if Joe Douglas gets crazy aggressive and picks up a running back, great. Or, a, you know, a tight end or a receiver or a pass rusher or a corner, like get game breaking talent now, because especially we handle free agency. And then the other, th- the other problem you have is we need, a, we need offensive linemen. So obviously you don't go offensive linemen first round, but is that the second round, third round? Do you double up, go back to back there? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where, like, I'm fascinated to see how he handles this, man. Like I, like last year, he was all about trade backs this year. Like you almost want to see him be, be a little bit more aggressive, but I, I don't know what he's going to do. We have holes, man. We got plenty of holes. <laughs> yeah, definitely plenty of holes. But I mean, at the same time, the receiving room for the Jets, it actually looks solid. Like it seems like, you know, seeing how Josh Allen came into the league with like Kelvin Benjamin and Zay Jones, you know, I wish that, you know, and then they built him, they built around him with all those receivers. It seems like Zach Wilson, presumably Zach Wilson, who, yeah. you know, you, you reminder, he says he's here. Um, he'll be, he'll be coming into a team, a Jets team that's more poised for young quarterback success. than it's the not Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne either. That's how you're going to spend your money when we saw deals like Sanders come through, John yep. Brown come through yep. and others like how would you not prefer John Brown or, or Emmanuel Sanders to the deals that those two sign? I just it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but go New England in, in that category. It helps us as in a division. That yep. That's how they spent their money. But um, the Jets are right there. I think they're talented enough. If Zach Wilson's good, they're talented enough to do something. If he struggles, Josh Allen so, struggled. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, it, like I said, it's the offensive line. Apparently, the LaFleur offense can be quick reads, get the ball out of his hand fast. I mean, the running back room is basically a mismatch. Of, you, know, you got right. De- Tevin Coleman, who's not the same Tevin Coleman, and a bunch mm-hmm. of, like, unproven guys. You know, so the, the tight end position is a complete joke. I mean, we got Tyler Croft. Maybe that'll help us. I don't know. <laughs> he stays healthy and can catch some passes. And Delshawn Phillips. Don't you yeah. do Delshawn Phillips yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so – it's like you hope, man. Like we're kind of hoping, and like, and you don't want to have too much faith in Zach Wilson right away. Like, listen, we expect all these different things, but yeah, the, the wide receiver group is better than it's ever. I mean, I like Corey Davis. I like the signing. People said he spent too much money on. I like the signing. I think he's pretty good. I I didn't want Kenny Galladay, not for that price. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's better. Like like Keelan Cole. Cole, yeah, Keelan Cole, I like him too. And and the thing is, like Jamison Crowder is still very good. I'm surprised they're keeping him, especially at his price tag. But yeah. he's still good. Lions fans, man. For, who finishes with more wins, the Lions or the Jets? There's a question. <laughs> oh, depends if you like the coach. Uh, yeah. That's a good question. Probably yeah, the right. Lions. Really? Because I think I would have more faith in Robert Sala there. I feel like I mean, like obviously he's unproven as a head coach, but you know, coming over from San Francisco, proven track record of winning. Um, and even this last year, you know, you can point to the San Francisco defense and say, hey, they were, you know, they had injuries, they were without a lot of talent. And he elevated them a little bit. So you, that's did you have the Robert Sala clip posted that we I made last year with when he didn't know who Josh Allen was? Oh and, yeah, um, <laughs> that's gonna be run back. If it's not for Tyson, it's gonna be run back at least whenever they pay the Jets week two, week three, week one, yeah. um, week one if history repeats itself. Um, but uh, yeah, he what, what his comment was like, I'm not aware of what Josh Allen's done or something. And something then, along those lines, yeah. Play to play zone defense against him, and Josh Allen threw for like 500 yards on him. <laughs> he was um, Sandar was at least that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, Tyson, I know we're running uh, running to the end here. I know you got to get out of here right at 5:20. So thanks for being here. If for all our viewers who want to maybe get some more Jets insight, tell them where they can find your stuff. Well, first of all, I always love talking to you guys. Definitely appreciate it. Um, let's talk Jets Radio on YouTube. We do a bunch of live streams. Same thing you guys are doing here, and then uh, on Tuesday nights we're on Block Talk Radio. 
and it's just uh, all Jets talk all the time, and now it's just with the Zach Wilson chaos. We're having a lot of fun, man. So hopefully we'll be up with you guys one day, get you know, back to the competitive levels of football. Yeah, I mean, when the AFC East is good as a whole, then it's just going to be more entertaining yep. for all of us. Absolutely. So <laughs> couldn't agree with you more. We'll have there. to get you on next month, too, to kind of recap your thoughts on everything. Um, yeah, see the draft. Yeah, see you. Yeah. See, see, we'll have to see you in May for sure. I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. All right, perfect. Well, thanks again, Tyson. I'll let you, I'll let you get out of here. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See you, Ty. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you. Always good to have Tyson Rauch on. Let's talk Jets. Uh, one of, you know, when you go through, sometimes I find myself down rabbit holes of other teams and like reading what other people are saying. And and I can say that Tyson is easily one of the more unbiased, uh, you know, yeah, he's beat guys for sure. others. Yeah, he does a great job. Does a great job. A lot of our guests are. So, you know, we try to, we try to find some good guests that are unbiased that bring, bring good information to the table and not just, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to go 13 and three this year. Like, like that's not realistic. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, I pick that though last year for the bills. Or actually, I feel like, I think I said 13 and three when we picked the schedule, when it first came out, I think you might've been at 14 and two. I, I definitely, I fit, I was at 14 and two and then I backtracked and I was like, okay, that's unreasonable. I got to take away a win. And then I think I actually took away the, the Cardinals win, which, was, yeah. which was definitely the wrong one, but you know, wrong process, right results, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I did have some bills stuff happen this week, not a ton of news, but Forrest lamp signing, um, you know, while we're waiting for our next guest, Mark Schofield from USA today and Pat's pulpit to get in here. Um, Kevin, how do you feel about the forest lamp? I like it. Yeah. I was a big, I was a big fan of it to me. Yeah. I was a big fan of the forest lamp signing. I thought it was a really good depth piece. I mean, it was very in the guise of a move like he made with Feliciano early on and Feliciano's career coming over. It was like a move kind of like Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams had a higher ceiling at one point, but just played awful and out of position last year. Yeah. Um, prior to the bills uh, coming over to the bills. So I think it's in that guise of, you know, I, I, my prediction is, do they give the job to Cody Ford? I don't think that they do. I think that you see Forrest Lamp in there. Ike Butker in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a trade on the horizon? They love Ike Butker. If they yeah. like Lamp at all, if they like Bobby Hart, unfortunately, sorry, anyone who doesn't like Bobby Hart, he's still a serviceable <laughs> swing tackle. He's not yeah. starting. He's not starting. Yeah. You can he's sign him for vet guy. minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like we close already to have that 71, 72 guys on the roster. Great. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> like, why and, are you worried about it? And, and and if he makes it as the eighth lineman, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, he has starting potential. If 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 Williams goes down in a game, you don't get I don't know who these teams are that have um, you know, these all you know, crazy swing tackles. Like that, that's your swing. That's who a swing tackle is. He's mm-hmm. a guy who started in this league, maybe wasn't great. Had moments. He played well last year. It was his good year, his best year ever. So why would you, you run a guy off his best year ever? Um, you know, Forrest Lamp played the last year finally. Um, so you have a guy who played, you know, really for the first time in his NFL career, and then you have Bobby Hart, a guy that just you know just started to play better. So those are two names in the vet, in vets that aren't starting day one. And then you have yeah. Ike Butker and Ryan Bates there too. It's a good room. It's a good room. Is it a great room? No, but it's a solid and a good room that's going to mesh together. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to it. I think the biggest note there, though, to take away from it, they aren't going to – it's not necessarily a thing that they'll touch linemen in the draft. I think that that's, that's mm-hmm. their, their thoughts. They went out and got those vets guys and said, you know what? I don't think that they – you know, we like these vet guys more at $1.5 than we do spending assets, than spending second and third round picks on offensive linemen in this, in this specific draft. Mm-hmm. What does yeah. that mean? DB might be on the horizon. 
DB's definitely on the on the horizon. I've seen Asante Samuel, someone who started this draft process as a second rounder. People have been mocking him in the first more and more, which I find interesting. I don't yep. really see him in the same uh, the same threshold as J.C. Horn, who's guarded like what twenty NFL caliber wide receivers over the past few years, including A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and he's like done a bang up job on all of them. Yep. Uh, and then Caleb Farley, who's you know amazing in his own right too. Um, but on the offensive line, yeah, they're 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 definitely not adding anyone at least in the first two <laughs> days. I could see someone. Um, I can see, you know, a day three guy. There are guys like Walker Little who could fall. Yeah, Micah, Jake. Is that Jake Micah? Yeah, that's Jake. What's up, Jake? Uh, chime in or running back. Um, but, you know, it, it's been a week since we've talked about it. I generally know your opinions on a lot of the Bills stuff here. But, you know, ha- has your mind changed at all on the idea of going running back in the first, second, third, late rounds? I'm, I'm te- yeah, I mean, I'm team get, get the best running back you can. I mean, I'm team that's a weakness to this to this program here 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 is the biggest note your general manager said you need to run the ball more effectively or better whatever way you want to put it mm-hmm. now do we want more runs probably not so what does no. that mean you need to be more efficient in the runs that you have yeah. you sign the same offensive line so unless you think Forrest Lamp or Bobby Hart and we've talked about them already are going to come in and be day one starters and take over and like great breaking guards. Too. You didn't do anything at the offense. You, you had a depth. Great. But you didn't yeah. do anything at the unit. So what does that mean? You didn't think highly of your running deck. I don't care what you say. It, you, you, you could, you could make an argument that Matt Breida is the guy I get. I'll listen to that. I'll listen to you thinking that Matt Breida is the guy that you think he's going to be and take a bunch of carries. I mm-hmm. guess that's, that's rational. Um, I don't think it's likely. I think that one of the, the running backs is traded. I think they're out of this. I think that's how they get their compensation pick back. Mm-hmm. Their compensation pick is moving an offensive lineman and moving a running back. I don't know which yeah. one it is. I can't even predict it because it always would shock me. But <laughs> I like Devin Singletary the most. Could he be out the door if they get a third or fourth round pick for him? I think it's very possible. I think it's very possible they can draft the player, get that draft pick back, and go with Najee Harris or Travis Etienne mm-hmm. and have a game-breaking running back. Etienne yeah. is a receiving machine. You can play him in the run or the pass game. Mm-hmm. He's a way to screen. He's not just a running back. He's just an elite offensive weapon. Um, and that's why to answer uh, JT Michael15's question here is listening on Twitter. Thank you for uh, for tuning in. I would answer that it's ETN just because, you know, Najee Harris is more of that bell cow back, you know, and I just don't like the net gain from adding an ETN and gain, adding a Najee Harris. I just don't think Harris would get as many touches as ETN right. would. 102 catches. 102 catches in college. Uh, 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns. That's what you're looking to add. I mean, that's what you're looking to add to this to this to this team and the struggles at the screen game, you know, whether it's the O-line, whether it's the running back or even Josh Allen at times, you know, mm-hmm. as well as he played the, the screen game wasn't there. Yeah. Get ETN and it might be there. Add that revolutionary game changing talent and have him at two million dollars for uh, four years. Guess what? Yeah. You don't need to worry about running back again. You and, and you can't go into that fallacy of we spent two third round picks on it. Yeah, sure. I know we have. You yeah. can't, okay, we can do that at D line too. We can we sign Mario Addison for a ton of money. We have Vernon Butler for a ton of money. Mm-hmm. We have Star Latulai still on a ton of money. You have Jerry Hughes on a ton of money. Yeah, we've signed veteran cornerbacks that haven't worked out. That doesn't mean we should never sign another veteran cornerback. AJ Epinesa, you dropped a second round pick into. Okay, you we can do that at any position. They they spent mm-hmm. this and this and this. But the difference to me in the draft at pick 30, we're not talking about pick, you know, with Tyson. Like yeah. they were a pick, you know, two and and they picked second before we pick again or before we pick first. So it's different. It's different. You can go and get a game changing talent. It's that weighing of, 
a weak defensive end clash, getting DN two or DN three and getting cornerback four, cornerback five and cornerback six mm-hmm. or running back one ish. I don't know. That's <laughs> where I stand. That's yeah. where I sit. Um, I don't know. I'm a big, I'm a big yeah. fan of, of, of making Travis ETN happen. Their propensity to draft the running back is there. We've seen it uh, as early as third round. And don't forget who, you know, Brandon Bean still says is one of his best draft picks ever. Do you know? Do you remember? Oh my God. It's a, I, who was it? D'Angelo Christian Williams? McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey. Okay. I don't know why I went back to D'Angelo Williams, but yeah, no, I mean, Christian McCaffrey is a fourth, like say what you want about how it's worked out for the Panthers in terms of team success. But like, that's someone that just completely changes how defenses have to attack right. the team. And we have someone like that in Stefan Diggs. We have someone like that in Josh Allen. We yeah. even have someone like that in Cole Beasley. If you add Travis Etienne to that, that completely changes. Just it'll open so much more up for this offense. And, you know, the, it does worry me a little bit, not just about, and it's not really relating to ETN, but, you know, right. just the, the offensive line, as Ms. Matthew Waronsky's uh, commenting on YouTube uh, about our offensive line, it's, it's, when when we play spread out so much, that just means all the blocking usually falls on the offensive line. The tight ends aren't in as close to the line. The, you know, there's one running back in the backfield. You know, so it, I don't know if the offensive line is good enough to be able to run it effectively spread out like that. But they're bringing in the depth, and you know what they, you know, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott always say, competition breeds better results. You know, competition like there are no such thing as camp bodies in the NFL because everybody is, you know, contributing and and working towards yeah. that, just building a more cohesive unit. So it, it's, I feel like I'm more worried about the offensive line than I am about our running backs getting production, and I, yeah. and I feel like that's okay, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think to the, to the comment Matthew's comment, I don't know if he means they didn't get a snap together. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, is that okay. they were inexperienced, like, and they changed their scheme a little bit. You know, they were playing a lot more outside zone. They were playing more zone blocking schemes, and I mean, they changed they changed things around. You know, no manpowers. You know, yeah. they, they really really altered what they were doing there. So, offensive line is 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 an important issue here. The Bills decided to not do much. They liked the continuity there, and to me, that might lead into running back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're leading into the next part of the show here. You know, a little play on words to, as a segue. Not a bad idea, you know. We got uh, Mark Schofield here, uh, USA Today. Uh, he's been doing great work covering uh, quarterbacks in the NFL for a very long time, and it was great to get his opinion on uh, Josh Allen before last year. Uh, Mark, busy time of the year for all of us, so thanks for being here. How's your offseason going? Um. I cannot wait until Saturday a couple of weeks from now when this is over. Um, although I fear, as you guys both know, that night we will start yelling about Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell, and it will just continue for another year. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that the draft is almost here. I, mm-hmm. I do love this time of year. It's a busy time of year, but mm-hmm. it's one of those times of year where teams can't hide. You know, they can't sort of hide behind mealy mouth. I got to go look at the film to give you an answer to that. And it's like that. They've got to make picks. They've got to make decisions about their team, their roster. And it's a great time of year to get a sense of how the teams actually feel about a position group, uh, one side of the ball versus the other, a player or, you know, a couple of players on their team. So it's a great time of year to get that sort of insight on these organizations. And speaking of that insight, you know, that's why you're here is to give us that insight about the Patriots. Oh, so yeah. 
<laughs> so how, how do you grade what they've done in the offseason so far because i feel like they've if you were to have like a humdinger factor uh of you know moves that make you just go hmm the patriots have had the most of those this offseason. i mean i feel like they made all of them i mean i feel like all of the humdinger moves were like and i will say the you know the john o. smith move comes down and then the next day I thought I was getting chapsed. Okay. I legitimately thought without Hunter Henry move, somebody was fooling around with me. I didn't believe <laughs> it. Like I, I, I thought, no, they're not going to sign both tight ends, but that's what they did. Um, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, J- Jalen Mills was another where I thought I was getting chaps because I'm like, this, this doesn't make sense at all. Um, they had money to spend. They spent it. They had needs to fill. They tried to fill them. I mean, I think most you know, in, in terms of like putting grades on moves and things like that, it's all incomplete, right? Like we don't know exactly how it's all going to come together, particularly for New England, because let's face it, you know, we can be honest here. The main move is the one that might determine whether these all work out or not. And that's the quarterback position, you know, until they figure that part of it out, you know, John o. Smith, Hunter Henry, Aguilar, Bourne, it might not matter if the guy that's throwing the football can't get them the ball. Um, and so we wait and see what the approach is at that position via the draft, whether it's, you know, trying to go up to get somebody, whether it's taking a flyer on somebody on day two, whether it's just saying, look, we're going to see what we've got from cam and we'll reevaluate it next year. That part remains to be seen. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of trying to look at each one in a vacuum, I like Smith. I like Henry. I liked those moves. Aguilar is a bit more of a question mark. Same with him with Bourne. I do think that, look, they're great at getting slot receiver type guys. It's that sort of X type, bigger bodied guy that can go get it, guy that can go downfield. That's the piece that's still missing to this roster. And, you know, maybe it's something they try to address in the draft. Although, look, the guy they tried to address it with the last time to kill Harry, gone. he's the reason why they're trying to have to address it now. So, yeah. Um, so a lot of it remains to be seen, particularly with respect to that quarterback position. But, what, what at the end of the day, you feel like you're getting chaps and you have to double check the accounts when they're making moves might tell you a little bit something about the moves that they made. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you touched on a few things there and I want to get to quarterback and wide receiver here. You know, just p- ask it simply, what would you do? I mean, if it were me, I'm trying to be aggressive to go get a guy. Yeah. Um, you know, you've with the money that you've spent, you've tried to address a lot of needs the big one is quarterback. And I think you've got to be aggressive at this point in time. You know, if we do see somehow, you know, Lawrence Wilson, Mac Jones, I think you call Atlanta and you offer them everything up to and included Maine and New England and Maine and Rhode Island, like to go <laughs> get to four to get Justin. A Fields. lot of lobster. <laughs> I mean, lobster rolls, like Providence is a lovely town. TF Green's a very nice airport. It's close to Gillette Stadium. Many teams fly into I mean, Martha, TF Green. Stay at Martha's Vineyard or something. Yeah, I mean, Nantucket, like whatever it takes to go get to four. I think you've got to be aggressive. What's interesting about this discussion is that a lot of people have said, look, Belichick's not like that. Like they grade players the way they grade them. And if a player isn't graded a top five pick, they're not going to go up and get that person in the draft. Mm -hmm. But 
five weeks ago, you would have said that Bill Belichick doesn't spend money in free agency. And a lot of right. people thought, even with their cap space guys, that they wouldn't spend it because that's not what they do. They went out and spent it. It's clear that they're going to be aggressive this offseason because whether it's watching Brady win a rain, whether it's finishing seven and nine, whether it's a combination of the two, who knows? They're doing things differently this offseason. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think the old adage of Belichick is going to trade out of 15 and trade back down is applicable this season. I think they're going to try to be aggressive. That's what I would do. My my idea here would be you've filled in most other things. Quarterback is a huge question mark. And let's say hypothetically speaking, Cam figures it out and he's suddenly – I don't think you're getting 2015 Cam, but he's like 2017 Cam, which is still a good quarterback, got Carolina to the playoffs. He's on a one-year deal. you know. So you're either going to have to pay him next year – or you're right back where you were right now trying to figure out quarterback. Why not be aggressive, go get a guy, and if Cam hits, great. The guy doesn't have to play right away, so if it's Trey Lance or Justin Fields or whomever, you don't have to force him onto the field, you know. but you've now got yourself a guy that can step in next year. It's sort of a Mahomes-type situation. Or if Cam doesn't work out, you've now got a guy that you can play. So I think they've got to be aggressive. That's what I would do. It's time to go get a guy. Like You've tried to address everything else. What's the point of adding Jonu Smith – Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, and then saying, well, we'll see if Cam figures it out. And if not, we'll draft Davis Mills at 46. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. Go be aggressive. Go get the guy. Having said that, they'll trade out of 15 and draft a safety in the second round. Like, I mean, I'm prepared for that too. <laughs> yeah, it's safe in the second round again. It's the only Bill Belichick had ever scouted specifically, <laughs> like yeah. after last draft. Yeah. Um, with, with wide receiver, I thought I saw something the other day. It could have just been one of those like clickbaity Instagram posts, but some, I like there might've been something coming out about Julian Edelman. Am I right? There, Where? There, yeah. I mean, there's concerns about his knee. Yeah. There mm-hmm. are concerns about his knee and whether he'll be able to go, whether he can give it a full season, whether he might need more time, whether he'll be ready. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to say this as a Patriots fan that, you know, Look, Julian Edelman has been a great player, but he's older than Wes Welker was when Welker sort of went mm. south. We, we have this discussion a lot, you know, running back value. And I know running back is a hot topic in Buffalo. You know, what are you going to do at the end of the first round? And look, if Najee Harris, Travis Etienne are there, I mean, that's tough value to pass up. But running back is part of the reason it gets devalued is because of the wear and tear on these guys, right? The miles, mm-hmm. you know, two seasons of running back in the SEC is like – no, it's like dog years in a sense. It's the same thing with slot receiver in the Patriots offense because you do so much over the middle. You're doing these routes where you're running yourself into and out of linebacker territory, which when you're 5'9", 185, like it, the, those hits add up. You see some of the hits that he's taken over the years. It's a wear and tear position just like running back, that slot receiver position in New England's offense. And so I think there has to be this idea that prepare for Edelman's eventual departure whether it's retirement, moving on, trading them, whatever. Um, so I, I do think that a guy like Bourne is sort of viewed as a potential like shifty slot type guy, see what they can get out of him. I wouldn't surprise me if they double dip a receiver in this draft, maybe a more X type early, like at 46, maybe a DME Brown and Nico Collins. And then a little bit later, you know, it's Wayne Eskridge at 96, uh, Kay Johnson even later in the draft. Uh, the South Dakota State slot receiver. But I do think there's an idea that, look, whatever you get from Edelman from here on out might be icing on the cake, but you have to be ready for life post-Julian. And so would it shock you if they went wide receiver first round? 
It wouldn't shock me. Look, if, if they try to get up, if they try to get to four, to Detroit at seven, Carolina at eight, and it just doesn't work, mm-hmm. um, and then you sort of get frozen out of that quarterback conversation, you know, that might mean that we've got five QBs in the top 14 picks, which means a guy like, you know, J- Jalen Waddle might be at 15, a Devonta Smith might somehow fall to 15, or even if those guys are gone, Rashad Bateman at 15 is something to keep in mind. Now, He's it oddly gone from six three as a recruit when he was you know being scouted by rivals to then like <laughs> six two in the program to now five I mean to six you know and five eighths so it is a curious case of shrinking Rashad Bateman but I still think he's wide, <laughs> my wide receiver four so if he's there at fifteen I'm mean, again my grades who cares but you know I, I think he's something to to consider at at fifteen maybe it might be too early on Terrace Marshall the LSU receiver but he's got a nice sort of you know, projection there. So maybe, or if they do somehow trade back a couple of spots, like say Washington sees Christian Darrisaw there at 15 and they're like, look, we got to go get a tackle. Um, maybe they come back to 19 and one of these receivers is there. Maybe they go the shifty slot guy in the first round, Elijah Moore, Kadarius Tony. Um, those could be potential s- spots for them too. I know most Patriots fans are thinking, oh my God, a first round round receiver again, like they're going to screw it up again. <laughs> look, they haven't got receiver right. I, they, look, we all saw that same graphic, right? They've missed on a lot of receiver picks over the years. Yeah. Um, but they that's a reason why they got to figure it out too. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they miss out on QB, they, they go receiver at 15 or some point early in this draft. Yeah, we, we were talking about like sunk cost fallacies and everything. Uh, when we talk about, you know, taking running backs on day three for the Bills or signing like veteran cornerbacks in the free agency, uh, you know, when you when you take economics at any level, the first thing that you – one of the first things you learn is that sunk costs are a terrible reason to not do something. Right. Uh, so if you find and, the value there, yeah, go yeah, ahead. And, and that's kind of like what they did with the tight ends, right? A yeah. lot of people said, how could you sign two tight ends? You just drafted two tight ends. Well – do you really think these guys are going to contribute to the level that Hunter Henry and John O. Smith might? Like, mm-hmm. just because you've done that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to get better at a position, you know. And that's something that I think the Patriots have traditionally done, which is try to move on from mistakes quicker. You know, and Nikhil Harry might be the next example of that. Like, look, we got the evaluation and the pick wrong. Like, why keep running them out there on the field if it's not going to come together for us, for him? Like, let's just try to get, like, a six-round pick from somebody in exchange for it, and we'll try to readdress the position in this draft. And so, you know, last year, Cam Newton didn't work out as planned, maybe, um, you know, probably. It was the seven and nine year. That's a lot worse than what Patriots fans expected because we want to kind of get, like, a fan idea of, you know, the fan. Yeah, I mean, I think – perspectives on it are kind of all over the place guys i mean i remember you know i probably said it to you guys i've said it on other shows too before that season started i'm like look you look at this schedule you look at this roster belichick could do his best job as an nfl head coach of this team might go like nine and seven and they went seven and nine like it was a it was a tough schedule tough sets of circumstances um the covid thing with with cam newton he signed late and all that stuff um so i mean there are reasons why but it Again, the roster wasn't great. I mean, the wide receiver position, the tight end position, the questions about Cam. Um, there are obvious issues that this team has to sort out. And so I think many people are like, okay, well, we expected kind of a down year. And 
you know, there were moments, you know, they beat Baltimore and you start to talk yourself into it. They blow out the Chargers. You start to talk yourself into it again. Mm-hmm. You know, but then they get blown up by the Niners. They get blown up by the Rams. And it's clear that this wasn't a team that was going to be competitive in the East, let alone the AFC. Mm-hmm. I think the expectations are different now. There's a bit more of, okay, they're starting to throw money at this. Like, I don't think there's what I would say patience. I, I think there better be some results this year. And the other thing to keep in mind for, you know, Bills fans that are enjoying sort of sitting back and watching what's happening in New England, the discussion over Bill Belichick, the general manager, has always been simmering under the surface in New England. It's now right at the forefront, you know, mm-hmm. especially with these expenditures and free agency, the Nikhil Harry thing, the questions about how they handle quarterback, you know, Bill Belichick, the general manager, I don't want to say is on thin ice. But it's a bit shaky under him right now. Bill Belichick, the head coach, obviously that's a different story. He's a tremendous head coach. But it's this the personnel roster construction side that people are a bit more, shall we say, impatient with. As a, as as rightfully, I mean, rightfully. I mean, so. yeah, Kevin, it's exactly right. Like he, two things we've learned over the past year: Tom Brady papers over all manners of roster construction sin. And Bill Belichick and coaches way out of a paperback. Like we've learned those things. This was a bad roster that he still got to seven and nine and won some impressive games with. Um, but you know, they don't have Tom Brady now, where you can rely on former quarterbacks from Kent State becoming dominant slot receivers because Tom Brady's gonna read defenses and carve them up with his mind. Like don't now do the you, Mac like that, Mark. Don't you do I, the Mac like that. I mean, I'm ready to go to mattresses for some of the guys in the Mac in the draft here. So, I mean, <laughs> come on. Um, but, you know, that's just it, though. I mean, now you need – it's it's sort of the quarter, young quarterback, rookie quarterback model, right? Like for so long, they had Tom Brady, the guy that, you know, made everybody around him better. But now they're at the point where they have to figure out quarterback quarterback kind of like having a rookie quarterback situation so they need the talent around them and because of all these misses at wide receiver at tight end at other positions they don't have it so they're forced to spend money and hope they can fill in the quarterback piece over the next couple of weeks yeah, and we had you on the show in December, week sixteen, when the Bills played really well in that one. Yeah. Um, you, yeah, you, you pretty well in that one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect it. I honestly thought that was potentially that. And then next week in Miami, where two games are like, yeah, we'll we'll limp into the playoffs means nothing. But uh, they went on a high note and continue that through the playoffs. But y- you mentioned to us on the show that I think this is it for Cam Newton. Like this is it. I I don't even think you should play week sixteen against the Bills. Like maybe a half. I think that was literally what you had told yeah. us. What happened? Like, what I, to me was it McDaniel? Like, what happened that got him back on the roster? And it wasn't cheap. It wasn't a one-year, one point one million dollar deal, or yeah. min- for his vet minimum is. What what happened? I, I I'm you know I, I do think that they looked at the totality of the season and circumstances and thought we'll bring him back because this is the absolute worst case scenario. You know, okay. sodden late COVID, all of that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Cam would you know he was out forthright with it and said, look, I wasn't quite right coming back from COVID. Like it took me a while. So they're looking at that. There's like, this is absolute worst case scenario. And year two will have to be better. You know, it's just going to have to be better. Now, whether that's, you know, wishful thinking, whether it's, there's some validity to it, whether it's somewhere in the middle, who knows, but I think that's their line of thinking, which is if nothing else, 
We've got a guy that we had last year. We've got more talent around him. We can put a better system in place. And so we should be improved on the offensive side of the ball. We'd be better on the defensive side of the ball. Seven and nine becomes, you know, trying to do the math, 10 and seven, 11 and six. You know, the 17 game series is going to take some some getting used to in this old brain here. But they're <laughs> looking at that that way, right? Yeah. And then maybe if they get the quarterback, you know, they can work that person into the lineup or Cam, you know, does pan out, then great. Um, now you've got to have plans B and C behind that. And I, I think that's what we'll see, you know, whether it's Jared Stidham as plan C and rookie as plan B, Stidham as plan B, rookie as plan C, whatever. Um, but, you but know, Jake practice squad, Jake, Jake Golagala. I ate lunch with him in high school. There, there <laughs> are guys, there are Stid, there's Stidham Hive, there's Dolagala Hive. Like Patriots Twitter is like, there, there's certainly Fields Hive, Lance Hive. Mm-hmm. There's a small Jones Hive contingent. Like, you know, there are people that are, that are banging the table for their boys. And Jake, you know, he's, He's got his fans. I mean, so, you know, but they have to figure it out. They, they have to throw resources at it and figure it out because until then, all these additions won't add up to much. And we, we've talked a lot about the offense, so we'll kind of pivot to the defense for the last 10 minutes or so that we have you. Just, you know, we the story of the defense for me coming out of last offseason was the opt-outs are going to kill this unit. Is that what happened last year? I think partly. I mean, losing Sean – forced Kyle Duggar to play take on an increased role as a rookie. And I think he's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he's going to be versatile, box safety, high safety. I think he could do a lot of things. But it was supposed to be a year of him caddying and, and carrying Chun's clubs. Um, and he had to play because Chun opted out. Losing Hightower, in addition with Van Noy being gone and others being gone at the linebacker level, like that was huge. I mean, so getting him back is going to be big. But I also think, look, the secondary wasn't as good, right? Like Gilmore didn't, you know, he's banged up at times. He didn't have the kind of season that he was coming off defensive player of the year. Yeah. JC Jackson, you know, he's very good. Um, but when you, you know, you've got the ability to stay in the pocket because they couldn't get a ton of pass rush. Ushay, you know, Winovich, Jennings, like they showed flashes at times, uh, but they couldn't get consistent pressure which gives quarterbacks time. And when you're having to cover into, you know, three, four seconds into the down, even the best corners can't, you know, hold up. And so I think it was a, a talent drain for sure. But I also think that, you know, guys didn't perform the way they were expected to. And this was, you know, going into last season, it was okay. Well, whether it's Stidham, whether it's Newton, like they're built to win 17, 14 rock fights. Well, they weren't built to win 17, 14 rock fights because they couldn't hold teams to 14 and they couldn't score 17. Yeah. It was, I mean, we know that as well as, you know, anybody from the last meeting between them. I, it was, yeah. it was the one of the few games where I live with my girlfriend's family right now on Long Island. One of her cats joined me and was actively watching the bills game. He was even really excited just sitting there pointed straight at the TV. It was a fantastic experience all around. <laughs> I mean, I, I started recording my post game show midway through the second quarter. Because I was just like, there's no reason to watch this to the end to need to, you know, mm-hmm. find things to talk about. This team's not good, um, yeah. you know, and so they need to figure stuff out in a quick way. And maybe they've started to do that. Maybe they haven't. We'll see. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, there's no doubt in Bill Belichick as a head coach, but there is possibly as a general manager. I doubt that the answer to this question is a yes, but I have to ask, is there a world where he takes on a lesser role and stays head coach and maybe 
you know, takes a back seat to the GM role or when you lose him for one, you lose him. As I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you lose him for one, you lose him for both. I, I'd be, <laughs> it'd be hard to imagine Belichick just being like, you know what? I'll step back now. Now maybe it happens. Look, we, we saw Elway sort of take a reduced role. Obviously it's a bit different. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't coaching, but you know, we've seen some people sort of take a step back. You do wonder, you know, if they have another bad draft, if eventually Kraft steps in and says, look, We've, we've got to rethink how we do personnel in the front office, you know, whether it's you need a general manager under you, somebody to take that title officially um, or, you know, another, you know, they, you know, they bring Matt Patricia in and he's sort of acted as sort of a pseudo director of player development, um, which is a whole nother conversation if you think about it. But I, I can't imagine Belichick being like, you know, I'll fully step back and relinquish the right. personnel. You know, he learned under, he learned under parcels. You know, he of the if you're gonna make ask me to make dinner, let me shop for the groceries line. So I'd be it'd be tough to think Belichick would be like, yeah, I'll I'll stop doing this this bit of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that completely makes sense, and that's the answer I expected. But I did want to ask, uh, Kevin, you looked like I cut you off there. You no, something? no, no. <laughs> I I I mean I've been jonesing to hear Mark's opinion on the running back room, just Ooh. in general, and the draft with New England's room in general, and then the and then correlated to the draft, and obviously you know some bills tied in there. What's kind of what's your opinion on the room in New England, and what we can see talent wise happen late first round, early second, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean I, I think. A lot might sort of hinge on Burkhead's health and Michelle's health. I mean, Michelle has been banged up, and you know, you start wondering about the rumors of him pre-draft with the sort of bone-on-bone discussion. Um, you know, that's a concern. Burkhead's recovery from the ACL injury is a concern. I do think getting James White back is important. I do think Dan Vitale potentially coming back. Now, obviously, he was signed and then opted out because of COVID, but he could be that fullback that they've they've truly missed since you know James Devlin's retirement. And now, obviously, you think the tight ends could fill some of that role as well. But you know, I do think there are times when they want to be a I formation twenty one personnel team. That fullback's a big part of that. Jakob Johnson, the international player, I think filled that role admirably. But I'm somebody that loved Dan Vitale when he was at Northwestern in their sort of super super back role. So I'm excited to see him in this offense. Now, at the same time, I think this offseason is an offseason where they have to evaluate every position, every position group. And if a player like UNC's Michael Carter, who I've said is James White 2.0, is there at 46, or even Joante Williams, the UNC guy, I don't Mm -hmm. think he's there at 46. But if he's somehow there, I, I think you have to consider that because, again, the whole position, the whole offense, like save offensive line really is kind of up in the air. I mean, the tight ends probably figured out, but everything else you've, you've got to address. And so I think those players are intriguing. When you start thinking about sort of the running back position in this draft, I mean, we've seen how running backs get treated, right? You know, they've been devalued somewhat. We yeah. saw, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire come off the board at the end of the first round last year. It's why we think that guys like Travis Etienne and Najee Harris might be there when the Bills are on the clock at the end of the first round. And so there, there's some talent that might slide down the board. Would Belichick go running back at 15? I, I hope not, but he mm-hmm. might. Um, I think they've got more pressing needs than a position that you can get production from via other factors such as the offensive line in front. You don't have to invest early. But if you're a team like, say, Buffalo that doesn't have as many needs and you want to get more efficient running the football, 
and Najee Harris is staring you in the face at the end of the first round, it might be tough to pass on that. Uh, but you could also look guys like Michael Carter, like I mentioned, Trey Sermon, even later in the draft, Khalil Herbert, the, the Virginia tech running back who I like a lot, uh, Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma. Um, you can find guys on day three of this, this draft that will contribute as running backs. They might not be the talents that say a ETN or a Harris are, but when you think about how the position is used, where the game is trending, maybe it's a better use of resources to go run it back later. Yeah, I mean, it, just in terms of you know all NFL teams, it seems like it's a better use of resources to go running back later in general. It seems like you know that that 2017 class with Kamara, Chubb, Henry, where basically every running back that was drafted and undrafted ran out. Um, I think that gave us a little bit of a let's just draft a running back late mentality. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and yeah, plus, yeah. you know, the idea of you know a good running back is okay, but a good running back at a great offensive line might be better, or even an average running back at a great offensive line might be better. You know, there's there's the idea that you know you've got to get the run, the offensive line room right, and so you know I think we've sort of always reframed our focus on how we think about running backs. Now there are transcendent backs that can you know do what they do. And mm -hmm. deliver and produce because they could make cuts in their vision and things like that. Um, but I still think those players might be late first round as opposed to top five picks when you start thinking about the value. Like I think the days of you know Saquon Barkley second overall. I, I think we might not see that for a while. Now, of course, we might see you know Kyle Shanahan do something silly and he traded up to get Najee Harris. I don't think that's what's happening, but who knows? I'm all for chaos. Like I saw a theory today on Twitter that mm. he traded up for Kyle Pitts to pair Kyle Pitts with George, with Kittle. George Kittle, which <laughs> would be pretty scary if you're a defensive coordinator. I can't imagine giving up, but maybe two future mm -hmm. first rounders for Kyle Pitts if he is the unicorn that he just tweeted out that he is. Um, I was just, I just saw that pop up on my Twitter. The point that you yeah, 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 he's. <laughs> You know, it's clear that these guys, you know, they 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 listen to the coverage, they they read the tweets. Yeah. So yeah, mm -hmm. Kyle Pitts, he's the unicorn. They search themselves on Twitter. It's no yep. secret. Yep. <laughs> Do you think ETN will develop whether whoever it doesn't matter who he plays for? I think for me, it's like if you get a primetime running back and the Bills are in the mold of Andy Reid and what they did in Kansas City with with uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire. Um, I mean, it's just the Bills are in the literal same spot the Chiefs were last year. Yeah. And a similar room before Clyde Edwards Alaire, it's decent. Um, but would you sit there staring? Is, is ETN, I mean, the Bills don't have a receiver or a running back that can catch 100 passes. I mean, they just don't. And he is. Um, right. He is. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and the other thing about him, I always love the idea of forcing a defense to declare their intentions and then exploiting what they do. Like, do exactly. you treat him like a running back or do you treat him like a slot receiver? Because if you treat him like a running back, he's got the ability to run routes from the slot. Like Clemson did that with him a lot. And then when you start looking at, okay, you're spreading out the field with Josh Allen, you go five wide empty with Josh Allen and his ability to run himself. Mm -hmm. That's tough to defend. Or if you do treat him like a slot receiver, do you play, you know, three, three, five, three, two, six against that look because you're like you you want to make sure you can cover him with a with a corner or a safety. You run it. Then you just run it. And yeah. he can run outside zone, inside zone, just some gap power stuff. I mean, look, the Bills are in a luxury spot right now where they can they don't have to force a need. They can draft for whether it's best player available or luxury or, or however you want to term it. And I think look, ETN would be a fantastic fit in Buffalo.
Yeah, that's that's where we're at. What, what do you think of Mitchell Trubisky, real quick? You think it was a good backup signing? Absolutely. Where, where do you where do you stand on? I that? mean, look, I obviously it didn't quite work out in Chicago, and there are things right. that he needs to improve upon. But I do think the idea of having a backup quarterback with mobility is a smart move for a franchise because if nothing else, look, he can run around a little bit and make plays. Like, right. God forbid, worst case scenario, Josh Allen goes down for a quarter or a half or whatever, and you need somebody to come in and finish a game. He could run the basic part of your offense, run around, make some plays. You could use him as a runner. You could use him as an offensive weapon. And I, I think that makes sense. And I think, look, Brian Dable – plus the work that Josh Allen himself did, which he deserves all the credit in the world for with Jordan Palmer, developed Josh Allen into the quarterback he is today, the MVP candidate type of player. Dable could perhaps do some of that with Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, I do think that getting him out for Matt Nagy, getting him into a new environment, new offense, new coaching staff, Brian Dable, I think that's a nice acquisition for the Buffalo Bills and for Trubisky himself. Yeah, they said they picked the Bills over Carolina. If there's any credence to that, I don't know. Maybe that's what... Carolina, he had an opportunity to perhaps try and start. I mean, yeah. Yeah. now he obviously wasn't coming to Buffalo with the intentions to start with Josh Allen in place, but he wanted to go work with Brian Dable. You know, Joe Brady might have helped him too, um, but you've you've got clear-cut developmental evidence of what Brian Dable can do for a young quarterback, and I'm sure that's attractive to Mitchell Trubisky and perhaps some other young quarterbacks out there looking at the Bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this is about all the time we got you for today. So really appreciate you uh, taking the time here. I had one more question. I'm going to save it for next time because it might be a question served for better after the draft. Uh, Absolutely. Look forward to it. But thanks so much, guys. Always a blast coming on. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate having you. We look forward to recapping the draft in general with you probably in May. Absolutely, man. Look forward to it. Yeah, and just remind our our viewers where they can find your work before you leave, and then we'll cut you loose. (laughs) Will do. You can follow me on Twitter, um, on the Stakeham app, um, at Mark Schofield on the Stakeham app, um, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, uh, Pat's Pulpit, Big Review, Bleeding Green Nation, but on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark. Thanks again. Uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great night. You too, man. See you. Now, bringing in our final guest for the show, it's NFL Fan of the Year finalist. Works with Tom Ernice, who is a frequent guest of the program as well. It's Ian Big E Burger, Dolphins Talk. Ian, how's it going? It's your first time appearance on the show here. Thanks for making the time. Things are going great, guys, and I do appreciate you uh, inviting me to the show. Mike said, hey, can anybody come on at 6 o'clock on a Friday night? And I was like, I I will be very happy to do that. I'm, very able. I'm the guy who loves talking about Dolphins, as I'm sure you guys love talking about your team as well. So mm-hmm. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I said you were an NFL fan of the year finalist. So before we get into the Dolphins stuff, why don't you just tell our viewers, like, you know, what led up to that? I believe you were on Good Morning Football, too, right? In a little appearance there. Yeah, no, I I was nominated by a bunch of uh, individuals through social media based on some a lot of positive things I do, not only for the Miami Dolphins, but for the Miami Dolphins community and Mm -hmm. some stuff that I also do on uh, on the personal side, which I'm a I, I end up volunteering about 20 hours a month providing financial education to low and moderate income families and individuals. So um, through the process, I, I was whittled down from 32 to the top eight in the National Football League. Uh, and then I got notified. Uh, they invited me down to Hard Rock and they told me that I, I made it to the top three and I was going to the Super Bowl. So at that time, I didn't know if uh, if I was going to be the top NFL fan of the year. But that mm-hmm. honor went to the Tennessee Titan fan of the year, Brandon Galloway super guy does amazing things with kids in the Tennessee area. So I, uh, but I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I got an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. So I, 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 I feel like I won. 
Uh, in addition to that, I am going to be flown to Cleveland along with the 31 other fans of the year for the draft in a couple of weeks. And, nice. uh, and we will be announcing rounds four through seven draft picks uh, at the upcoming draft for our teams, for our individual teams. So it's a, uh, it's been an amazing journey so far, and uh, I'm very proud to be able to represent the Dolphins fan base. Yeah, well, it sounds like all that, all that is well deserved. So, so good for you. And and you know, I don't, I'm not from Miami, but still, thanks for all the good that you do. You know, it seems like you're making the world a better place than you found it. And you know, love people that do that. Thank you, um, I appreciate that. Of course, uh, you won't be announcing the first pick that the Dolphins have. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like that might be a little more exciting, but uh, it's still really important to talk about the the first round, obviously. When they traded back with San Francisco, did that verify for you that Tua is the guy moving forward, or did you have any doubt after the last season? Did you think they might go quarterback round one? So it's interesting you mentioned that because the fan base in Miami and actually the Miami Dolphins fan base around the world, there's you have this group of individuals that said they they were really sure that Deshaun Watson was going to be the guy and the Dolphins were going to make a play for that. But the interesting mm-hmm. thing and, and you probably you guys probably deal with this as well in your neck of the woods. You know, we had all these rumors that were swirling, but they were all swirling from Deshaun Watson's camp, you know. And, yeah, we had some media members that said, you know, this was the rumor that was going to be taking place. But this offseason, especially in the offseasons that we've had since Chris Greer and uh, and Coach Flores have have been at the helm, there have been zero rumors that have come true for the Miami Dolphins. And you you guys probably get that a lot too, right? You see, oh, rumor of this person's coming, rumor this is going to happen. Um, so I never felt that that was truly a consideration unless it was going to be for a very, very cheap package. And I didn't see that the, I didn't see the Dolphins giving up on Tua, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I am of the belief that, you know, this young man who experienced a, a life-altering event when he heard it, you know, when he had his, his hip injured, yeah. You know, you you've got to give him more than just a half a season to see what he's really able to do. And, and that half a season without a preseason, without, you know, offseason work with wide receivers, you know, you've got to give him that full opportunity before you can really make a determination if this guy is going to be good or not. Right. So that's you know, here's what I'm saying. And I understand everybody who said Watson prior to all of his legal situation was going to be a, an, an upgrade. And I understand that, too. And would I have been upset? I probably would have been a little deflated because Tua wasn't our guy, but I would have been supporting Watson either way, right? Because whoever's in the colors, that's who I'm supporting at the end of the day. But I, I was rooting for Tua because, you know, he just seems like such a good kid and he's really able to, to rally the team members in the, in the locker room. So I was hoping for him. And I think now, as you mentioned, with the trade, right, with the trade of the picks, I think it is very clear that the Dolphins are – sticking with to it. And now of course, too, with what's going on on the legal side uh, for Deshaun, I think there that, that makes it even clearer uh, that all the Dolphins fans are saying we're now behind Tua and uh, let's see what he can do in year two. What are the things you saw from Tua that, that leads you to have so much confidence in him? Cause obviously, you know, we as Bills fans, we know Dean Marlowe picked him off twice, not to bring up old wounds, yeah, and open them, but you know, it's, 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 and we have no room to talk because Josh Allen's rookie campaign was far from perfect. So, and especially, yeah. You know, A.J. Epinesa, another rookie last year, took a while to come into his own and came on at the end of the year. So what do you like that you saw from Tua? So so what's interesting is that I agree that Tua's first season had its ups and downs. He was not a great quarterback. And I think to even say he was a good quarterback would be 
probably very polite, very nice, right? Because of, and, and I'm honest when I say that the Dolphins succeeded last year largely due to their defense. You know, we had one of the top five defenses in the NFL. Actually, I think we were top three until we played that last game against Buffalo. Um, but we were the top five defense in the league leading up to that last game. And they scored some points and they made differences when we needed them. And of course, too, having Ryan Fitzpatrick be able to come in and be our closer on some games, that mm -hmm. did help as well, right? Um, but here's, I think, the the guys that are pro-Tua, the guys that we call anti-Tua. I think we can all agree that this next second year, now that Tua has an off-season workout, now that he is figuring out timing routes with the wide receivers, now that he's going to have a preseason before the regular season starts, and now that he's also going to be protected by second-year offensive linemen, I think everybody says he's going to play better this year than he did last year. How that's going to be, how much better, that's yet to be seen. But I don't think he can play much worse, let's be honest. And I don't expect him to play at the same level as he did last year. And so, uh, you know, looking at some of the additions that Miami has made this year, you know, how do you feel about the offseason? How would you grade what they've done so far adding players before the draft? I think it's probably a B. Uh, I think, you know, and, and again, as I was mentioning, there were a lot of rumors swirling around like, Oh, the Miami Dolphins are going to pick up Aaron Jones. We need a, you know, we we need a running back back there, I would right? Have and, when that didn't happen, I'm going to be completely honest. <laughs> like, I would have loved you guys to throw money at him, but at the same time, you know, the second it's a Sunday at 1 p.m. and we play you guys, I'd be scared to face him. Right, and, and then the rumors were about all these wide receivers that were going to be heading down to Miami, right? And I think what we have learned, and and I was predicting this actually last season and the year before, is that this is a different Miami Dolphins team than what we're used to as a Miami Dolphins fan base. Mm -hmm. As a Dolphins fan base, we're used to huge splashes in the offseason. We're, we're, you know, we're used to an Indominic and Sue signing at the largest contract in history, right? Um, so this offseason and the last couple of offseasons have been, all right, we're going to spend the money in the right places. Yeah, we spent a lot more money last season um, than we did the prior, but that was because two years ago we were truly rebuilding and we really spent some nice capital last year, but now we're in the third year of the rebuild. And now we're able to start saying, all right, we don't have as many holes as we had before. So now we're just going to find some folks that, uh, that will fit our system. And from the off season perspective, you know, Will Fuller is probably the most important player out of this free agent class that we got. Yeah. Um, because when I think about specifically the Buffalo bills game, and I remember 13 or 14, catches that were dropped from some of those receiving core. Um, you know, I think that's where we needed a lot of help is the pass catching side, you know, and injuries didn't help it at all either, but every team experiences the injury. So I'm not going to use that as, as an excuse, but that's, you know, I think, I think it was a good off season. I think we are primed to have a really good draft. I'm excited about this draft just as I have been, you know, the last draft too. And we had a lot of draft capital early on. Yeah, and shifting focus to the draft, you know, now you're at 12th overall instead of fourth after or third, I'm sorry, after that that uh, San Francisco trade. Um, what put easy question, what do you do at 12? I expected 12 to still have one of those pass catching receivers, right? I still had expected mm -hmm. um maybe Waddle to drop. Maybe, you know, some people are saying that Devontae Smith is gonna drop, which I don't know how that's even possible, but you know, <laughs> some of these mock drafts have them going down. And I don't know if you guys remember, but if you saw Kyle Pitts two or three months ago in mock drafts, he wasn't going till mid to late part of the draft. 
And now, you know, based on comments, based on his workouts, based on everything else, now they're saying he's going to be a top 10 pick, if not maybe a top five pick in the draft. So um, what, what I love is that we go through this crazy process every season before the draft. And then when the draft actually happens, everybody's like, we, w- we could have never called that, right? We, we would have never called it the way that the draft actually happened. And I think that's exactly how this one's going to work too. Do you like staying at 12 instead? Or did you like going back up to six with that first, you know, with another first round pick? Did you, you like know, doing that? What, what's I your liked, thoughts on that? I like the 12 because of the two ones that we would have next year and the two ones we would have had the year after that, you know? And, and, and because for me, I think, as a football team, you always need to be rebuilding. You always need to be bringing in young, talented players. Mm-hmm. So sitting at 12 was not the worst thing in the world. But I will tell you, for that 30 minutes between us going down to 12 and then us coming back up to six. All right. I, I don't know why that third step flipped my – yeah, okay. That, and that's okay. But Twitter, Miami Dolphins Twitter was on fire. Because they said, now you're not going to be able to get a wide receiver that you're going to want. Now you're possibly not even going to get a wide receiver at all, even though this draft has a very deep wide receiver core. If you think about, you know, the the wide receiver out of uh, out of UF and, you know, there's going to be some real value going into the second round and even into the third round for many of the positions um, that teams are needing. So I was okay with us going down to 12. But when we went back up, I was a lot of people then started making it, you know, the, the draft day comparison of the, the you know, the movie draft day, how he, it was, Chris it Greer, was. he was wheeling and dealing, man. It's like, and I, I want David Putney and yeah. I want David Putney. Yeah. That's, that's what it reminds I mean, in a short version, it kind of, it really was kind of like, wow. Like they had this deal in mind. They didn't feel comfortable dropping past six. They'll give out some capital to do so. So at six, are you sitting there saying, is this pits? Are you thinking we can't let one of these receivers go? What, what do you, what, what's, what, something about that pick made him scared. So what, what do you think it was that they just cannot miss out on, on a pass catcher? Is that really what set it off? That's what I'm thinking. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. I think, I think you've got, you've got the four big ones coming out, right? You got Chase, Smith, Pitts, and Waddle. Those yep. are the four, yep. you know? So I think by the time you get down to the number six, you're going to have at minimum two, Right. And there's there's a lot of question mark in what Atlanta is going to be doing. There's a lot of question mark in what Cincinnati is going to be doing. The best case scenario for the Dolphins all right now is yeah, it, it is all of them because I, I think they're all going to be great. And I think they're all going to be special. They all have talents. Right. And mm-hmm. we've seen them in college. And I think putting them together with two, I think, will be very positive for the team. But here's a, a possible scenario that we're kind of hoping for. You know, Atlanta just announced this week or it's gotten out that they're. Yeah. You know, their pick is up for sale, right? Who's going to come up to take another quarterback? That could happen. And then Cincinnati is the big question mark because some people are saying, well, Cincinnati's going to take a pass catcher. Joe Burrow wants Chase, right? Because they played together, right, um, at LSU. But and, Joe Burrow's body wants Penesua. So <laughs> uh, and that's, that, that is my angle, right? I'm saying, how can you ignore the fact that their offensive line was so bad that Burrow got a season-ending injury and go spend such an important pick on another receiver. And again, in my in my opinion, it's like, how do you throw the ball to one of these great wide receivers if you don't have a good enough offensive line to be able to do it? And they have some good young wide receivers in Cincinnati too, so I don't know if that's, that's the priority, but that's going to be kind of where everything goes. Um, as far as the Dolphins, 
I'm good with Pitts, and it's kind of grown on me, and it's grown yeah. on a lot of Dolphins fans. And I think the reason for that is we have Mike Gusecki, right? And he's a very good pass catcher as a tight yeah. end, you know. And if you think about, if you think about the New England Patriots, where Coach Flores originates from, you know, they've got those two tight end sets. Even though it's Gronkowski always on one side, and then you had another tight end on the other side. If we get Pitts. He is a matchup nightmare if you think about it. Think about that for a second, right? Yeah. A linebacker is going to traditionally be the one that covers your tight end or a safety is going to have to come up to do that. And his arm length, and I don't know if you heard this, but his his arm length is the size of Calvin Johnson from Megatron from the Lions. I don't know if you guys knew that. So he wow. is tall. His arm length is huge, you know, and he's going to be he's going to be a matchup nightmare. So that's why it's kind of grown on me and to say if we can get this guy, he can go from the slot. He can go from the tight end spot. He's going to be a difference maker in that position. But yeah, again, if we get if, it, if they announce, all right, it's Smith. Awesome. Let's go. Because that's, an again, it's an upgrade in a position that we need to be upgraded. Yeah. At six, you're kind of, I won't say you're guaranteed, but it seems like you're guaranteed your number one pass catcher of the draft, considering Cincinnati goes offensive tackle, which I think they should. Um, and I may have slipped up saying that you had picked 12 instead of pick six, but where I haven't slipped up, great segue, is when I've been shaving lately using my Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. I know, I'm great with those segues. Look, oh my God, Biggie's a Manscaped guy. He's <laughs> I got my 3.0, really man. I love that thing with the light at the end. That is awesome. I was going to say, it. shaving without a headlight is like driving in a blizzard in Buffalo without your high beams on. It's the same exact thing. I said that on Trainwreck Fantasy Baseball. Catch us next Wednesday again. We'll be live. And now that's 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 in my pitch for this all the time. Got to get through this little read here. You know, Manscaped, is this the show is brought to you by Manscaped. Best in men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and mine. They provide them. They pride themselves in technological developments that really provide the best grooming experience. As Big E knows, they trust. They are trusted by two million men worldwide. I get thrown off having another Manscaped guy in here. It's crazy. It's insane. I love the products, man. I, I, I you know, we talk about it too at Dolphins Talk, and and mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you smell some of their product, like they they have mm -hmm. some, and they also came out with a recent cologne. Yes. It smells amazing. And it's something mm -hmm. you don't normally like. I'm I'm really picky when it comes to like aftershave and cologne and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that one is awesome and I love it and I use it all the time. It's amazing. Well, take his word it for it. Take my word for it. Use promo code Trainwreck for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Promo code Trainwreck, 20% off free shipping. Unless you're tuning in because Big E, you know, shared this on Twitter and you're from his show, then use his promo code. We're not trying to steal your, your, your customer. No, it's your show, man. It's all you, buddy. It's all you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, getting back to, uh, getting back to talking some dolphins here, um, you know, going over to the defensive side, or actually I first wanted to ask about Malcolm Brown because you did sign him instead of Aaron Jones. The running back room was a little bit of a mess last year, not just because the players weren't good. Like the players actually performed relatively well for, you know, their experience levels and for Matt Burita, who we now have, you know, with his, you know, all the injuries he had. Um, but do you see Malcolm Brown as a potential lead guy? Is it going to be a tandem kind of thing with like him and Salvan Ahmed and all those guys? I think that we are going to pick up a running back in either the first or second round and oh, and i i'm i'm gonna say more or less it's probably gonna be in the second round yeah. um everybody not be harris in the middle of the round there with that pick i see i i think everybody would love for Najee harris to be our 18 pick 
Um, and, and it wouldn't bother me either. Cause have you seen the guy's thighs? His thighs yeah. are like bigger than my head. Right. It's our nice so thighs. He's, he's, and you know, who does he remind you of? He reminds you of maybe Darren, Darren Henry, Henry, right. From Tennessee. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of people say. This guy has the same build as Henry. So that's why I say, I wouldn't mind it. Cause you can, he can make a difference for any team that he ends up joining. But going back to coach Flores, where, you know, where his pedigree comes from, when you think about the the Patriots, they've only once that I know of in the past 15 or 20 years have spent a first round draft pick on a running back. And that was Sony Michelle. Yeah. They, they, you know, they turn and turn and turn running backs, but they get use out of them. Right. And they don't usually have one guy who's going to run 1500 yards in a season. So that's why I don't think the Dolphins are going to take a, a running back in the uh, with the number 18 pick, even though I know our Good fan point. base, they would look like if he's there and the Dolphins don't pick him at number 18, there are <laughs> going to be some upset Dolphins fans because they're going to say we had this opportunity. Now, in the second round, right, Travis Etienne is there. Uh, you got Javante there from North Carolina, even the other running back from North Carolina that could be an opportunity later on in the second round. Those could be very good possibilities. And um, I think that will end up being who your number one running back is. Malcolm Brown, he's going to end up probably being your third down back. I think that that's, what, that's what we, we have been missing, if you think about it, right? Um, third and one, third and two. You didn't have that go-to running back that you can give the ball to who's going to get you that first down. And I think that's going to be Malcolm Brown's spot because he is he does seem to be a little more powerful where Salvin Ahmed – uh, and our other running backs really try and get outside more than running straight through the through the line. So I, that's my opinion on that situation. How did you feel about the Jason Sanders contract? Because that was a little bit of a head scratcher to me. <laughs> we really like Jason Sanders in, in Miami. <laughs> yeah. We really do, you know. And and you see stories about kickers around the league how they will lose you football games. Mm-hmm. And Jason Sanders started last year on a tear. I think he ended up with like 20 something or 30 kicks in a row without missing one. He was so, great for my fantasy team. I'm going to thank him for getting better Mahomes and gardens the win last year in the chip. There you go. Exactly. So that's, and that's, and that's the reason why we love him, right? He'll make those 50 yarders. He'll make the 30 yarders consistently, you know, and when you find that type of player, you got to hold on to him. And yeah, he, I think he got a couple million dollars in his new contract. He's going to be with us for a couple of years, and I like that. Well, yeah, it's good to hear that coming out of my I – mean, not not good from a Bills perspective. I was hoping you'd be mad that you paid that much money to a player. <laughs> but <laughs> um, uh, maybe I, – I, I'm more – call me great. I'm more interested in, you know, Brian Flores' report card than the defenses after last year because I think we know the defense is going to be a relatively solid unit. Um, and so, you know, maybe we'll get to that after this. But uh, do – to his, I feel like his biggest issue. He's a. It seems like he's a great leader, you know, great culture guy. But his personnel decisions might leave some people wondering what's going on up there. So, how do you grade out Brian Flores after his first, uh, you know, his first little bit with Miami? I, I'm actually really um, upbeat and optimistic about him, and and here's the reason for that. Two years ago, when he was given this team and basically we tore it down. You know, we traded out Mika Fitzpatrick. We traded out um, our offensive lineman to te- Texas. Who's who is uh, 
it's and then it ended up turning into like five first round picks and seasons. That's left. one of the greatest trades in NFL history. Yeah, Laramie yeah. Tunsil going was was one of the best trades ever, and I it's think it be. will continue to go down. I think it's going to be that thing that continues to give because again, we just <laughs> traded down yeah. from the three pick, and San Francisco's pick is the one that we're keeping next year. And if San Francisco is rebuilding, then we're going to have another top early pick that we could potentially trade for more first round. But so anyway, so with it's like what being mad it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So so that year, that was the year supposedly tank for Tua, which I wasn't on board for tank for Tua. I was trying to win as many games as you possibly can. And we won five games. No one expected us to win five games with that with that roster that we had. And that was a lot to do with Coach Flores and the way that he put people in the right positions to succeed. Right. He really got everything out of those guys this past year. And I'll ask you guys this. If someone would have told you at the beginning of the season, right, that the Miami Dolphins were going to be 10 and six going into the last game of the season for a playoff spot, would you have believed them? Absolutely. I have. I almost started with absolutely not. But I was like I was kind of high on them last year, but 10 and six. No, maybe nine and seven. Yeah, absolutely. And and so so that's my point. And I think that the way that coach Flores has made some decisions to get position players in the right spots, you know, to, to find these outliers that may be good for one season or two season, and then just plug and play. I think that is reminiscence of what you would see in a new England, you know, and, and I know some people are upset about what happened with Kyle Van Noy. You know, he came in, he signed this contract that basically said he could be, he could be let go after one season and he came in and did what he needed to do. But what I th- what I see about Coach Flores that's very different from the last four or five coaches that we've had with the Dolphins is we're trying to develop the players that we draft. When we had Adam Gase, Adam Gase would spend top dollars to try and, and get somebody else's great player and make them work here. Well, it doesn't work if you don't coach them right, if you don't put them in the right schemes together. I mean, a name, Emmanuel Ogba, that was a name that nobody really knew. The right. guy had nine sacks this year, right? Um, Xavier Howard was playing out of his mind this season, right? So I think he's done a very, very good job. I think the leap from five to five and eleven to ten and six has a lot to do with Coach Flores. And let and here's the other point too. I don't think there's many coaches in the NFL right now that would have switched quarterbacks mid-game or third quarter in the game um, as Coach Flores did. I think a lot of coaches are out there that believe you don't take players out. You know, it might hurt their psyche. It might affect them next week. Coach Flores is like, I'm trying to win games. We are in a playoff race right now, and I'm going to do what I can to get us there. And there's not a lot of there's not a lot of coaches that would would take those steps to make their team as good as it can possibly be. So I like that about Coach Flores. I think he's going to tell you you're good or you're not good. And he he is serious when he says everyone is competing. In training camp, everyone is competing during practices, and he is going to put the best players on the field, regardless of how high you were drafted or regardless of how much money you're making in free agency. Yeah, that sounds similar to the Sean McDermott philosophy. Honestly. Yeah, I was going to say. Rebuilding, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let you take – go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> I was going to say, he came in, gutted roster, 9-7 and seven playoffs, ended the drought. Next year, no roster, rebuilt, developed a team, played well down the stretch – came into the following year 10 and same, same type of thing, 10 and six playoffs again. And then, you know, into this year, 13 and three um, played phenomenal football and is, you know, a bunch yeah. of playoff games. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's similar guys there and people in new England, we've talked to them. They got to be a little scared. I mean, they're looking at Buffalo, they're looking at Miami and they're saying, uh Oh, 
like they're saying, uh oh. I mean, that's not what they expected to see from the teams that they're usually used to seeing at six and ten. So it's a good changing of the guard to bring this back to the early nineties and, and the days that were fun for us. Um, but maybe, maybe, you know, not new England when they were awful in the nineties. Here's um, all, here's the only thing that I, I say to, to Patriots fans is that they've had it really, really good the oh, last yeah. 20 years. If you oh, are, yeah. if you're 25 years old, you've spent, you know, every year after you were five years old uh-huh. celebrating championships, division, division championships, Super Bowl championships. It is not going to be easy to replace Tom Brady. We always thought it was going to be easy to replace Dan Marino, I'm sure a lot of Buffalo fans thought it would be really easy to replace Jim Kelly, right? Right. But here you guys are. You finally found somebody that could do that. And to your point, and I know you mentioned this a little earlier, you know, I keep going back to Josh Allen's first year. And I say, had Buffalo given up on Josh Allen after one season, there's no way they would have been where they were last year. So why should the Dolphins give up on Tua after a half a season? And not even having a preseason. So I want us to do exactly like you guys did. You got a Stefan Diggs, and that just changed the entire complexity of your offense. We need to get ourselves a Stefan Diggs to let Tua be able to, to throw that ball down the field. So yeah, that's that's complete. How do you how no so, so behind him? You had Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy near and dear to the the hearts of Western New York, a guy that's loved here that we still love. Um we'll comment good things about Buffalo anytime we get. We'd love to see that toss up against Las Vegas, just with his face mask being ripped off and oh, yeah. a big win by Miami there. Thought for sure that would knock him out then and there. Mm-hmm. Um, the closer. Um, but wh- what's your opinion on going from him to Bursette? I mean, that's got to matter a little bit in the locker room. I-, I think for for me personally, I think it's a good move. I loved Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think you can find anybody that didn't enjoy fi- Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. But I think for Tua's purpose, Okay. I think yeah. Tua needs to know now. This is it, man. This is your team. You're going to win or lose. You no know, more we're closer. not going to see. Yeah. yeah, we're not going to have a closer situation. So, Brissett has similar style to Tua, and I think that the only re- the only reason that Brissett could possibly go in is if for some reason Tua gets hurt, which I sure mm-hmm. as heck hope does mm-hmm. not happen. But mm-hmm. I, I think if we're down by 20 points, I don't see Coach Flores changing quarterbacks this year. Do you I see him doing think. what Indy did with the little moves of coming in for Phillip Rivers and certain plays? Do you see that happening? It could be. And they also did that in New Orleans too, right? With yeah. uh, with Breeze. Yeah, exactly. And him, yeah, the three. Yeah, They did three. They have like a three-person rotation there. We, so we, Flores, I don't know if you guys remember, that we, we uh, with our special teams when we were going for kicking field goals, Flores got extremely creative where mm-hmm. our punter – passed it to the kicker and uh and we Who's got now a bill down. by the way yes 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 <laughs> that's right that's right he's your kicker right that's right Matt yeah, Hunter, yeah. Hawk, hawk it's hawk right not hack i think i don't remember i, I always call them hack h-a-a-c-k <laughs> could be hawk i could be completely wrong but he's Every a good guy sound up in buffalo is an ass so the, you know. the bills paid like we were talking kickers laughing about that but the bills paid him not not a lot but they paid him enough to be a punter and they chose him over their current punter as cory by who was not great to me, um, yeah. and which is proof that he's not on a team right now. But they picked the Dolphins punter. I, I, I'm laughing about it because I think they liked some of that versatility that the punter showed um, through Flores. So I think that's full circle there. Nice. Well, we'll see. Hopefully you guys aren't putting the same play against the Dolphins. But we'll, <laughs> we'll see it. We'll see how that works. Well, I know we're going to get out of here soon, but I did want to ask because we asked Tyson. Forgot to ask Mark because I'm an idiot sometimes. But how do you view the rest of the division? Uh, you know, in terms of who's the biggest threat to, I don't know, I say threat to the Bills because, you know, now that's weird, they're they're the top dog of the division. 
Um, you know, I'll ask. I put out a Twitter poll earlier asking this. You know, Jets, Patriots, Dolphins. What do you think the percentage vote was for the Dolphins? How many well, people said the Dolphins are the biggest? Out of hundred percent, yeah. So, yeah. so I I retweeted that tweet to Miami Dolphins oh, Nation. So, so, yeah. so I have a feeling it'll be ninety percent Dolphins and like three percent uh, Jets. Maybe well, we and... actually got a retweet from Mark and Tyson too. So it, it okay, hit everybody. Okay. So nice. Uh, well, yeah. I I do think honestly, even if I didn't retweet it, I would have said the Dolphins are are right now mm -hmm. going to be the biggest threat for the Bills. Yeah. Uh, then I would say behind that will be the Jets. And, and, you know, it's, uh, well, and, and some people say, well, why not the Patriots? Well, it's all going to depend on what they do in the draft. Yeah. If they still keep Cam Newton as their starting quarterback, he was not good last year. Right. He, was, he was, so if, if he is their answer at starting quarterback for this season, it's going to be another tough season for the Patriots. And mm -hmm. now they might jump up. I heard they were talking to Atlanta for possibly, you know, trying to jump up to get to that quarterback spot where they can pick someone. So We'll see how that happens. I guess it's all going to depend on what happens in the draft. But I think it's the Dolphins, the Jets, then the Patriots. And we'll see. The the poll results right now, 82.6% Dolphins. So you, you're pretty yeah. right there. Uh, Patriots, 16%. And Jets, I know two of my friends picked the Jets as a joke. Uh, and they're at 1.5%. I think that gets out to about four or five votes there. Um, so, you know, we'll see if that holds up. But, you know, Ian, I really appreciate you taking the time here. Uh, why don't you just remind everybody where they can find your work if any Bills fans are interested in some uh, some Dolphins content? Yeah, no, I actually have a lot of Bills fans that follow me. Um, I'm at on Twitter at Ian693. Uh, our content, though, we, we do put on a weekly podcast with DolphinsTalk.com. That comes out. We do a live show every Wednesday evening at 745. Um, and then when the Dolphins season comes, when football season starts up again, I start doing a two-minute drill every Wednesday just kind of – compacting all the news for the week in a two minute time period. And then I'm also on YouTube uh, at big E not you have to do big E Miami dolphins or else you're going to find a, a pretty <laughs> successful wrestler that is uh, that's out there. So uh, big E Miami dolphins, you'll find my YouTube page, but that's, that's me a little bit of everything. Are you right in the Miami Fort Lauderdale area or where are you? Yep. I'm in, I'm in Fort Lauderdale. I'm actually just, just West of Fort Lauderdale. So Los Olas. Close, not far. I'm yeah. close. <laughs> Love Las Olas, though. But it's not like Miami. If you go to South, if you want to go, you know, if you want to find something like Las Olas, go down to Miami. South Beach is a way to go. Oh, spent some time at the Clevelander myself. So, ah, nice. Um, Very yeah, nice. Yes. Some good times down there. A lot of Bills fans. How do you deal with that? Y you know, I have some friends that are Bills fans, and I have to say that they, the, the generation of Bills fans today are not the generation of Bills fans that we saw in the 90s. You know, and, and if you think about where we were in the 90s, and I know you guys are probably a little younger than I am, but the 90s, we were at each other's throats. You were a Bills fan. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the shirt I used to wear to the I games six, with my dad. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, well that, yeah, I was born after the four Super Bowls. So. Okay. All right. So I was you born guys, in the 80s. So. so so I was in the generation, and I was really big in the Dolphins when we had Brian Cox. And I don't know if you've yeah, heard all yeah, the yeah, stories. We have a son thing. now. Mm -hmm. on the exactly. Bills. Exactly. Well, and, and he helped to kind of drive some of that animosity between the two teams. So, so that was tough, but nowadays bills fans are very nice to me. I do. Although Mike actually lives near Buffalo from the he Dolphins. Syracuse, talk yep. Yeah. And he said, he said that uh, bills fans are not very nice to him. And believe it or not, what's funny <laughs> is we have a lot of dolphins fans that live in Buffalo and they you said, do. they said Weird. during the playoffs, they were like during the playoffs, 
we saw like yard signs about Josh Allen, about the bills, about, you know, all these things. He's so. in Syracuse, which is an interesting market. It's a bad sport. They love their college sports. It's a ah, bad gotcha. sports market. And mm -hmm. that probably leads to some of that volatility. I'm in Rochester, New York, which is in the okay. middle of Syracuse and, and, and Buffalo. And there are, I went to high school with 20, mm, 15% of Dolphins fans. Wow. So, that is yeah. a lot. That's yeah. a lot. Yep. Yeah, now, so if we, we we just need to win, and we'll we'll experience exactly what you guys experienced. You know, mm -hmm. being able to win a playoff game and and go deep into the playoffs, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, it's the Dolphins and Bills again, man. That would be that would be ideal for everyone, I think. Re relive this, uh, relive this, this, this would, whole would be crazy. I mean, because we almost had a Bills Cleveland AFC Championship. Very, we were a play or two away. Uh, Chad Henney run away. Henny <laughs> scramble. Ex Miami oh. Dolphin. Thank you. That's very right. Much. It's You're awful. Welcome. It's <laughs> all full circle always. Um, and it was, it was, it was, a, they probably, Baker Mayfield probably would have won that game without that scramble. Sure, um, yeah, sure. So it was a, so same thing though, back on point, Bills Dolphins could happen when you, we almost saw Bills Browns AFC championship game. So times are changing, man. Times it's close, man. Really appreciate you coming out though. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having us on and, Obviously, anytime you want a Dolphins uh, perspective, please feel free. Myself, I know Mike is always trying to get himself jumped on as well. So uh, let us know. Yeah, no, for sure. It'd be nice to have both of you on at the same time, honestly. Two Bills, two Dolphins guys going at it. You know, a little bit of a tag team. Tag WWE. team Royal Rumble right there. <laughs> yeah. Big, yes, e real, big E for real. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's <laughs> That's going to do it for us here on the Crowdus' podcast tonight. Make sure you tune in next week. We'll be live again on Friday, uh, probably around 5 or 6 p.m. again. This weekend, Papa Shotapalooza. Uh, you've got that big promotion with Labatt going on right now. Who's going to be the Papa Shotapalooza champion? Degenerate Al's in there, DJ Supreme. They're going to be going up against each other this weekend. Um, we'll see who takes home the gold. Keep up with Happy Hour Hoops, uh, fan Trainwreck Fantasy, Crossing Swords for all the Sabres games, all the other Trainwreck Sports content, and obviously – the Crowdus' podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week.